Hi, I'm Lisa Lloyd, and I'd like to welcome you to the second series in my podcast, Beyond the Water Cooler. In series one, we explored what we mean by employee experience, and so now we are ready to unpick the how to achieving that. As a psychologist, psychotherapist, and business owner of It's Time for Change, I meet so many talented individuals who are aligned with my mantra, get people right, get business right. I'm going to be talking to some of these super interesting people who have stories, insights, and strategies to share about what it takes to be a great company with inspiring leadership, an awesome culture, and a wow workforce. So let's dive in. So the sun is shining and I'm sitting facing my fabulous guest today, John Holland. He's Senior Software Engineer and Mental Health First Aider at Maersk. So welcome to the podcast, John. Thank you very much. And uh, it's a real pleasure to be invited on your, on your podcast. So thank you. Pleasure. We have covered so far off air beards, leather jackets, shopping. We have. <laughs> a whole host of things. Um, I was trying to actually remember when we met and I... I think it was when um, it was following a Thames Valley Chamber of Commerce webinar where I was on a panel answering some questions, but I don't know if your memory serves you any better. I know it was, it was something around that. I think it was. There were a couple of panels. One was where Theresa May joined us and, uh, and there was one before, and I think it was the one before that I reached out to you because I was arranging a mental health awareness day on a, on a radio station that I present on. And I think that uh, relationship uh, formed from then. Mm. So since then, we've been keeping in touch. We've been, um, as you say, I've been a guest on your run radio show around mental health. And we'll hear a little bit more about that um, later, I hope. Um, and we just keep up to date on developments with mm. what you're getting up to what's going on at Maersk um, and just stuff in the world around mental health and well-being and with this being Men's Health Week I thought it made complete sense to dedicate this episode to exploring this subject a bit more and you immediately sprung to mind. Thank you. Um, and I think for me it's really interesting when people as soon as we hear the words mental health some people get a little bit anxious or they just turn off the turn off the podcast I think actually I'm not really interested interested in mental health you know I thought this was all about employee experience so we need to we need to kind of make that link in a minute about how talking about mental health and mental well-being is actually fundamental to employee experience which is actually what this podcast is all about but before we dive into that let's hear a little bit more about you and your role and what Maersk is all about. Yeah so the role of a mental health first aider first came about when we were hit with the first lockdown with COVID-19 and since then you know, as history goes on we, we've built this capability um, within Maersk and we've now got probably I think about 60 mental health first aiders um, around the whole world uh, of Maersk and not just Maersk but some subsidiaries as well so Maersk is a very big company and there's lots of uh, sister companies and um, other organisations that we buy and we we try to get as many people in as many uh, of the, the brands as we possibly can. Um, and we've done that by reaching out to their HR people and talking about the mental health awareness. And Maersk are really good at embracing that. And I think as an employee of Maersk, you do feel very cared for. And not just in the sense that you get your pension, you get your you know health care, et cetera, et cetera. But they genuinely do care for their employees. In fact, 
Maersk have um, a list of values that, that we, we live by. And one of the values is called our employees. And that's all the, the emphasis on the hiring good people, looking after our people's welfare. And we're very, very good at sort of health and safety and the environment that we work in. And over the last two years, the whole thing around mental health has become something which was a, a very taboo subject to something that's really come to the forefront. And the mental health capability, I think, really combines being immersed in. So my experience of a Maersk employee is great. And when new people come on board, part of the onboarding process is to say, we also have mental health first aiders. So don't be alone. We have an EAP service. You know, don't be alone. Um, so people are very aware that they are looked after from the minute they walk in the front door um, through their career. Mm. And I think it's really interesting hearing you pick up the, the the link between health and safety and mental health, because my guest next week is going to be Sheila Lord. And we're going to be talking about the ISO 45003 around psychological health and how looking after psychological health is part of health and safety but people tend to get very fixated on health and safety being a very practical thing <laughs> and I'm guessing for Maersk there's a lot you have to um, get ahead around in terms of the physical health and safety aspects because of the kind of work that's involved but actually to hear you talking about the fact that people are really really interested in looking after people's mental health and their well-being um, is really good to hear. I think so and I think the employees deserve that because we often work in an environment where, I mean, for example, in my role as a software engineer, um, work can be very stressful at times and it can be long hours. And one of the things that when we're doing sort of mental health webinars, we often, you know, try and drill home to people that, you know, you need to have balance. You need to have work-life balance. Don't be afraid to say, that, hey, this is too much. You know, remember that your mental health and your physical health comes before everything else. Mm. And um, and often people try and blame the employee and say, oh, I'm pushed under too much pressure. But the employee doesn't, if they don't know, they don't, they can't act. And I know from experiences of dealing with uh, other people in the organisation that they've gone to their boss and said, hey, this is too much. And it's OK, thank you for telling me, let's help. I don't know anybody that has said, hey, tough luck, get your head down, get your work done. I think. I think we should be very proud that we work for an organisation that recognises that. Mm. And um, so there's a very good level of compassion uh, within that's that. So, that's so important, isn't it? Because, you know, I talk a lot about work culture and psychological safety and so on, so that ability to speak up and be open about really what's going on for people. And that whole, the blame culture still is in the background for a lot of people. So I will just blame my employer you know they expect this of me but actually employees individuals are not taking individual responsibility for standing up and saying this doesn't feel okay something needs to change and until as you say until we improve the communication and start to communicate that we have reached our limits or this how things are working at the moment just really aren't working for me because and here's a different way of thinking about it we're we're almost too passive in that process and we're expecting things to change but mm. without without the right people knowing the right information yeah I mean something that Merce did which is kind of made me laugh because they, they, they put on a, a course they bought a, they paid for a trainer to run a course that was called say no like a pro now a few most management managers might think oh my goodness my 
team of someone's gone on this course they're going to say no about everything but actually it wasn't about that it was about have boundaries around you because boundaries keep you safe boundaries protect you and learn when to say I can't do I don't have time and it's not about saying no 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 it's about saying yes I can do it but I can't do this until tomorrow maybe I'm maxed out this week I can't do it or is there anyone else who can do this because my diary is completely full mm. or and it's and again it's about that two-way communication and the fact that Merck actually um paid for a trainer to teach people to say no you think don't do that that's crazy but it was an amazing course and I often tell what if I'm I'm also I'm also one of my worst ambassadors because I when I as a mental health first aider I say to people and make sure you take your breaks make sure you you look after yourself and then I find myself doing a 10-hour day without a break mm. I think so sometimes you think again that's not my employer's fault that's my fault yeah I think sometimes we're too quick to say oh they want you to the bone no I'm walking myself to the bone it's my it's my uh, it's my responsibility to look after myself Brilliant. It's so good to hear you say that, John. <laughs> so, so from your perspective, how does mental health fit into that wider agenda of employee experience? I think the first thing is people like to feel supported and safe. Mm. When you join a big company like Maersk, you're you're in a massive organisation and it's where do I go? How do I get things done? Who do I talk to? And it can be very daunting in those early days. and um, and, and, and to know that you've got like a safety net there, I think is a really important thing that like you are cared for. You're, you know, you realise that when you join a company, there's an element of care. Mm-hmm. Um, and and also when you're your journey through the company, you know, you're always supported all, all, along every way. You you have you know why you have your ordinary career discussions um, with your boss, your your progress and your career. There's also health discussions, you know, and you're encouraged to reach out to your EAP, you know, not just for mental health, but for anything that enhances your employee experience. So our EAP can give you amazing legal advice. If you're a first time home buyer, they can give you advice on more, what mortgage not to get, what to get, um, solicitor's advice. It, all that comes as part of the EAP. And why that's quite a formal process, if they just say, do you know what, I just want someone to chat to, I'm having a real tough time at the moment. And I'd love to have someone I can pick up the phone. So we have a uh, an online calendar for all the mental health first aiders that people can put an appointment in your diary and say, you know, can I have can I have 30 minutes of your time? And often what I do is I follow those up every week. Let's have a 10 minute catch up. Now, how are you doing? How are you getting on? And you kind of walk with that person through. And it may not be always mental health. It may be that they're just, they're just very stressed out and not known. Sometimes we lose our way, don't we? We're very, very busy. Mm. and so have a mental health first day that say you know what push back on some things why are you putting yourself through this mm. way too much I, I couldn't cope with that you know sometimes it takes it's an old saying isn't it common sense is very uncommon mm. and sometimes when you hear someone else talking common sense it kind of it, it resonates with you in a way and I think that for me is what the, the real value is of having someone in your role because um you know I, how I see a lot of companies use mental health first aiders um, slightly makes me shudder because they very much view them as a sticky plaster it's kind of um, it's very much you know wait for a, a mental health problem to arise then go and see this person um, and it's almost this kind of get fixed although that's actually not their role anyway and yeah. um, it doesn't it's not very holistic whereas what you're describing the fact that you're within your role you might not it might not be about what people tend to think of as mental health it might just be that someone's 
feeling a bit wobbly, a bit uncertain about some things, not sure. And they just want a friendly ear. They want someone who's got their back. They want someone who can just reassure them or just give them some advice about what is or isn't okay around here. And having someone in that role, everyone needs someone in that role. It's so critical to just, as you say, feeling supported and not feeling that you're sort of, you're guessing at what the right thing is to do or, or, you know, you've got to keep quiet because I might be judged and so on. I think you've just hit the nail on the head there as well, because I think sometimes one of the things I've noticed about being a mental health first aider, I think you're more of a kindness ambassador. Because sometimes we're in a tough world and there's lots going on and you're having a tough time at work and someone who says, you know what, let me help you with this, right? Because you, you feel you can't approach someone. I will go and speak to your boss and say, hey, I've spoken to Matthew or Lisa and uh, they're having a real tough time. They're really embarrassed to talk about this. You know, can we help? Mm. Most, of, But I've never come across a situation yet where... I've had to do that, and and I don't think I ever would have because people, most managers are very good at us. Um, and a lot of our senior leadership teams have all had some mental health awareness sessions, so they're very you know, that mindset is, is is within the whole. So it's a cultural thing. Mm. Um, and what's also interesting at Merck is we we could, you could have um, as a mental health first aider someone who's English, someone who's Danish, someone who's African, someone who's American. And all those cultures are very different. Some people don't want to talk about these things, mm. especially like our regions um, we have in the Philippines. People won't talk to a mental health first aider. What they do have is a best friend at work. And it's a thing, and everyone at work, is an, it's encouraging, have a best friend at work. And I think sometimes you're a bit of a, you know, a, a, strange, a stranger and a friend to someone when they need help. Mm. Maybe I think it's about being kind, and I think kindness is a real powerful thing. And that that language is so important, isn't it? So that, you know, even just calling someone a mental health first aider, I I personally really dislike that title because it, it for a lot of people it puts it very much the focus on mental health. And a lot of people have a very narrow perception of mental health. And first aider is almost like the sticky plaster bit. I love that idea of having a best friend at work mm. or someone who is a, a kindness ambassador. Yeah. That for me is is actually around creating a, a positive culture where people look out for each other and people yeah. care about each other and yeah. people operate as teams um, who are all out to support each other rather than just in their own little silos or being competitive or being judgmental or whatever. For me, that's kind of the basis of good employee experience and work culture. So every, uh, I think it's is it every year or every six months? We, we do it. It's a huge um, company-wide engagement survey. And one of the questions is, do you have a best friend at work? Mm. And and so many people I know have a best friend at work. So I have a best friend at work. Mm. And, you know, when you're fed up with things, we'll ring each other up and have a good old moan. Or we can say, let's go into the office today and let's go and, let's go and have some lunch or, you know, and it's a nice thing to do. And, um, and I think that, as you say, it's like, um, have you seen the film Gladiator? Russell no, Crowe. I think I should have done, but I haven't. <laughs> there's a sketch where they both stand back to back. So they're fighting outwards. And what the person who's got your back is a Greek word called parakletis, and it basically means I've got your back. So oh. and, and what he says is if we stick together, we'll be okay. So they're standing back to back and they're fighting. So that means that they cut no one can get get so you've got each other's back. And I love that phrase, and I really and, and there's a great scene in 
in, in Gladiator, where you know if we stick together, we will win. And I think that's when you're at work. And if you stick together, no one can do it alone. And, it's, and that's why that's a great thing about some of the when we work in our squads at work, we work in squads of eight. And there's always very good camaraderie and there's a level of support for each other and respect. Mm. I think that's come down from the, from the culture that we work in. And I think that's where, you know, when you've got small teams who are, there, there's been a lot of emphasis on creating that kind of team dynamic where people have got each other's backs, is where you can start to have those conversations as part of everyday practice about what am I struggling with and mm. what do you need support with? And, you know, just having that, the kind of, level of human behavior that we would want if we were to describe an ideal society is that sense of if someone's struggling they need to be able to communicate that and to be heard and for there to be compassion and for someone else to look out for you and that's the that's the sense of what we want as a kind of everyday culture and it sounds like you're achieving that really well and I think I also like what you're mentioning about the EAP because so many companies have EAPs that employees don't really know about or they know it that's there and they forget about it they don't really know what it offers and I've spoken in the past with someone who uh whose responsibility is about getting EAPs out into the world of work and they're like yeah a lot of companies have them but they're just not really used so it sounds like yours you know I didn't know for example that through an EAP you might be able to get advice around your mortgage and all that sort of stuff actually that's a huge benefit for employees in terms of their overall experience rather than what people tend to think EAP means I've got I'm struggling with that, some aspect of my mental health and well-being yeah I think and I think the, the whole practicality of it adds to the employee experience I mean I used it recently um but my wife did because it's available to to you and your family and my wife wants some legal advice um and I won't bore you with the details but I said well call the EAP and she, they were absolutely superb you know and um so it, I think another thing, as you mentioned, that people forget about it. So um, some feedback with the last employee engagement survey we had is people forget about what benefits we have. Mm. So our HR department send out this email now every month company wide to say, you know, this month we're talking about EAP. This month we're talking about Bupa. Um, as a reminder that you, you pay for this benefit you know, or a company pays for this benefit, please use it. And I, and I think um, the EAP, I think, is a superb thing. They've also got some great things that you can read, like um, you know, dealing with uh, a child who is having a tough time at school. You know, uh, have you got a child with special needs and what you need to do? And um, really, and are you a new advice for new parents? You know, re really practical stuff like that. And as you say, it doesn't have to be about mental health. And when you sort of mentioned the word, you said the word mental health first aid it makes you cringe sometimes. This has made me think that. I'm wondering whether we need to rebrand that and Merck and say, I think the name is we should be like maybe well-being ambassadors or, you know, and take away because someone in our call recently, our monthly call said, I'm still concerned about the words mental health first aid. And I think it's clinical and it kind of makes you think about that taboo, that stigma that's still around it. And maybe well-being is a bit of a a cooler thing to call ourselves I might have a word in fact you've inspired me to try. <laughs> I'm going to speak to the team next week and run that by them and also just ask people in the company what they would prefer to be called because a lot of people dislike the word well-being it's too soft and fluffy and it's like you know some people more and more companies now talk about happiness yeah people or and it's finding the terminology that resonates with your particular employee group mm. Mm. And that's really important for 
you know, the term mental health first aider is so um, uniform across all sectors. Whereas actually when you, you need to know the people who are working in your organization and what language fits for them and use that rather yeah, than, well, this is the term we, we've been given. I think that that is going to help break down some of those barriers. Um, so yeah, let's know what you call them. Yeah. <laughs> I will do, definitely. <laughs> so um, John, tell us more about what Maersk is doing to explore the, the experience for particularly male employees. And I know you've got a lot of those working on um, vessels. So that's that you've got a slightly different um, yes. kind of context that you might be working in. Yeah, so I guess um, the in terms of mask employee, they have, they're very good at having a balance of the male and female. And of course, then, then there's going to be more, um, as we ha- we hear more about non-binary, and I think that will also come into play as well. I think masks are very open to diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think about male um, workers, on the commercial side of the business, like at the docks, in the terminals, on the vessels, you know, offloading cargo, um, again, there is a mixture of, male and female but some of the areas are still very um, predominantly male um, and and I think that depending on where you work if you're working um, on, a, on a vessel and it's it's very military run you know it has to be run in, in a very um, structured way um, maybe military is not the best word maybe more structured and it may be difficult if you're in the office you can go and find a private booth pick up the phone and say hey you want to speak to but when you're on a vessel it might be different so we just reached out to um, some seafarers to say, how do you get your mental health support? Um, would you like more? Would you like to understand more? And the response has been, yes, please. So and then I thought before I move ahead with this, I need to run this by HR because we could have 20,000 people out at sea. And if they start calling the mental health first aid, we're going to be completely inundated. So our HR um, uh, head of HR said, we love the idea. It's been something that's been on her mind as well for a while. And I think it's been on quite a few of our minds and hearts. And she's going to speak to her commercial counterpart to try and target that audience that are not in the office. Because I think sometimes you think about most, you deal with people in the offices, but what about the people who are out on the ocean and they're away for six weeks, away from their family, or maybe they're going to be on a long journey for three months. They miss their family and their home and their children. And while they've got technology to make a phone call or use the internet, I think there's, you know, you are going to have periods, especially when you're off shift, like loneliness or, you know, you're, you know what do I do? You know, I've, I'm starting to feel a little bit anxious here. I'm missing my loved ones and my stability. So it'd be really good to be able to have a capability. It's in the early stages. We don't know the best way to do it yet, um, but we are. that's something we're going to be working on in the next few months. But we've got to do it very carefully and make sure we engage with the right people, because I think it's also really important not to say, we're going to do this really cool stuff and then find out there are some reasons why we can't. Um, so it's, it's just how we structure it and how we deliver that that, um, that service. Uh, and I th- it may be that we start having more people that are involved in the commercial. They have um, mental health awareness training and then they, they somehow you know, disseminate that themselves. So it's very early stages. Um, and in terms of men reaching out for help, I'm surprised of the openness of men that do in fact as a as a mental health first aider i probably have more male you know shall i use the word customers more male people than than female it might be because men would rather talk to men and females would rather talk to females 
I don't, I've had a few um, uh, ladies that I've spoken to, but majority have been have been uh, men. And I think it's really interesting that men are more opening up to mental health now. That is really interesting, actually, because that's one of the things I want to actually unpick a little bit more in terms of the differences that we see. Because in terms of people reaching out for help, it's predominantly, all the research shows, that it's predominantly women who will seek mm. out more and engage more. So, so from your perspective, you think it could be because because you're a male first mental health first aider that actually you're you're experiencing more of more males coming to you. Yeah, I, it's, it's a strange dynamic, really, because I know sometimes women talk to their friends more about stuff that's going on in their lives. They pick up the phone and say, "Hey, thanks." Or, or blokes don't really do that because you meet you meet down the pub and you talk about stuff, and it's not really deep stuff. It's just mm. and. It, and um, it's not really sort of thing. I mean, I I have a best friend and we talk about everything and I have done it and it's lovely to have that friendship. Um, but in the main, most of my mates wouldn't be interested. Well, we know we're in the pub. They don't bring to stop moaning, you know, and uh, and it's a kind of that, that that way that men are sometimes. And I think that's a real shame. But there are and there, there probably are guys at work that don't want to talk to people. And that's why rather than say, OK, if you're not going to come to us, we're going to come to you. So we'll do some work around uh, we've built some webinars we're, we're, the two of us um i work with a guy called john and we've done some really good sessions two of us and we've gone out and said look and the amount of people that have pinged us said oh do you know what i really needed to hear that message and you think come and talk to us mm. but again is it a cultural boundary or is it because they're a bloke or is it because they're a female what, what what is that reason so if people don't come to us by doing those webinars we can reach people yeah and i I think that's a really good way of looking at your role, which again is about being more holistic. So again, some companies I've engaged with have the mental health first aiders who are waiting for people to come and knock on their door and then they're not coming mm. and they're not really questioning why and they're looking at what they could be doing differently. It could be simpler, people don't know who they are or can't access them at the right time, or it could be the feeling of taboo or whatever it is. So the idea that you're then finding ways to go to them and build that rapport because people are only going to open up if they feel they get on with you so the fact yeah. you're rocking up doing your webinars being you and, and knowing you john you'll you know there'll be humor and it's just kind of it's it's down to earth it's kind of like let's just get on and talk about this stuff yeah you go, oh my gosh actually it's not as scary as i thought it would be and that opens up the gates to to come and engage with you and people have done um but can I share a really beautiful moment with you, actually? Yeah. So um, I did a webinar and oh, me, me and another colleague. And on the back of that, a chap pinged me and said, look, I'd love to have someone to talk to. And it wasn't really about first aid. We were just every two weeks, we'd have an hour together and talk about stuff and what was going on and the anxieties around COVID. And, and we've kept that relationship going. And um, this guy pinged me and said, I'm coming to the UK next week. I've never met him in the flesh. I've seen him on a Zoom. I said, I'm going to come in the office and I saw him and it was it was quite an emotional moment we were, we hugged each other we just embraced each other for like 10 seconds and do you know what he went oh he said I'm, I'm, he was starting to well up and it was just it was and you don't see that with blokes oh. and I do you know what and I thought what a beautiful moment and do you know what that was going to be a, he'll be a friend for the rest of my life a very dear friend because we walked through something that was quite a you know an unpleasant time through covid and we both shared we found we found each other um 
talking about say well I wasn't there as a first aid anymore it was as a mate and we were talking we were both airing our stuff and it was the most amazing moment and I'll never forget that I think that's the power of human connection isn't it yes and I think that is is hitting the nail on the head about you know when we talk about the term mental health first aider do you need that or do you just need someone who's going to be a friend Mm. when you have that rapport you have that connection you know like going down to the pub with your mates um, yeah. And yes, we don't really talk about this stuff, but actually, if I was going to talk to someone, it'd be with one of my mates. If there's this, if there's a barrier to going and seeking professional services, and there's a, um, you know, a barrier to going and seeking the help we need, then actually it's got to be a different way, which is almost just having a conversation with a mate. So it feels less formal. It feels like, less mm-hmm. like you're making a big deal. And I think, you know, it clearly is an issue for the fact that we've got Men's Health Week. You know, the very fact that we're having to have a men's health week is because yeah. Yeah. men are not necessarily engaging with it. And I think, you know, I was looking at some of the stats before um, coming on uh, to, to talk with you about this today. And obviously, we know that women are more likely to be diagnosed with um, common mental health disorders. Mm. But there are still really important indicators of mental distress in men that needs to be tackled. So just over three out of four suicides are by men. And it's the biggest cause of death for men under 35. And men um, between the age of 40 to 49 have the highest suicide rates in the UK. We look at the fact that men are more likely than women to go missing, sleep rough, become dependent on alcohol and drug use because they don't have other healthier coping mechanisms. Mm. Uh, Men report lower levels of life satisfaction than women. And that comes back to that whole, what is life about? What's my experience about? And looking at the big picture uh, only 36% of referrals to NHS talking therapies are for men. And is that sense of having to go and seek formal support, going, you know, actually almost showing yourself up and saying, I have a problem with this, is perhaps a barrier for, for quite a few men. So how do we engage them differently? Um, and 38% of men believe their employer would think badly of them for taking time off work with a mental health concern compared to 26% for a physical injury. So it's quite a big, you know, there's there's a lot of data there which says, actually we are reaching men around supporting with mental health and wellbeing and the factors that contribute to their mental health and wellbeing is a real problem. And I guess it'd be interesting to think about some ways of overcoming some is gender differences. You've covered one with having webinars I don't know if you're doing anything else at Merck, or if you've got any other ideas about actually how to help men engage more with this kind of support. Yeah, so again, in our monthly uh, meeting, we were talking about the idea of doing some road shows. So um, where we would get some uh, professional uh, advertising, uh, there's things, the banners and things, and uh, maybe go up to... Um, that's one of our artists in Liverpool, for example, where there's several hundred people and, and have like a stand and give out leaflets and have people and have um, some people that just come and talk to us. Um, and another thing was, and I'm not sure if this will work or not, is to say that meeting room, blah, 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 on the fifth floor is booked out all day today. And we no one can see him. It's blacked out the windows. And anyone that wants to come in and talk to us mm. can do. I don't know. If that's going to work because people will see you go in that room or oh, what's he in there for what's she in there for so i'm not sure mm-hmm. but i think as a road show you, you can engage with people and say you know we're mental health but or we're well-being ambassadors or whatever we decide to brand ourselves and 
don't feel and we can share the statistics like you were just saying a minute ago and you know talking about so that's really powerful and say you know it's time to talk please do talk and it's let remind people it's 100 confidential it, it's, no one will know that you've been to a uh, first aider the only time somebody would know if that person was in danger of taking their own life mm. or there was a severe work situation then you'd have to engage human resources mm. so there are very strict rules around that and people need to know it's it's 100 confident no one can say people talking to so-and-so what's wrong with him that that is complete mm. that would never happen mm. um so i think it's in terms of proactiveness yes the webinars roadshows we haven't done a roadshow yet it's something that i really want to get the ground and um, I, I i kind of got in my head this date of around about october and the reason i say in october is because at the end of summer people's moods change where suddenly it's dark it's raining we've had that summer really oh, the, the feel-good factors from the sun and suddenly you're thrown into darkness almost and I'm thinking that would be a really good time to reach out to people and especially the one up till Christmas it can be quite stressful for some people as well so try and create that that kind of uh, environment and I and I like that idea of having uh just trying different approaches mm. and avoiding this kind of one approach fits all which mm. I think a lot of companies are falling into the trap of it's like actually we need we know we need to do something and therefore we'll provide this mm. and expecting that to work and some people might engage really well with those roadshows and for other people it won't be the right thing um and if some other companies are using uh sort of apps on phones that are where people can answer a couple of really simple questions to say you know how are you feeling right now and mm. that's um there's there's a, a great one called govox oh, which right. Um, when people use that, they it flags up for their line manager if there's a, a kind of a, a red, you know, there's a red cue to say, actually, this person, you need, as a manager, you need to go and find this person and reach out to them because they are actually struggling. But the person yeah. can notify the people who need to, whether it's their line manager or whoever the right person is, but they can notify someone that they're, they're not in a great place for whatever reason just by answering like three or four multiple multiple choice um, questions on an app. It's so simple. And it's about finding different ways of being able to find out who's struggling and what they might need. That's, that's an amazing thing, actually. I, I, I made a note of that because, again, having a capability where you can reach out to people, what, what we have to remember is that we do this outside of our day job. So I'm an IT guy. And this is outside of my of my day job. So quite often when things are very busy, mm. it's easy to forget this. And you, we have meetings and we think, you know, it's been very quiet on or we haven't had many people coming to us lately. We think because you need to keep sending those reminders. Mm. And so, you know, we, we always try and think of innovative ways to say to people, hey, we're here. Um, and just recently with the Ukraine situation. So um, we've got colleagues in Ukraine and we use Yammer, which is like an internal social media tool. And um, we were putting to our Ukrainian colleagues, if you want to talk to anybody, we're here. Or if you've escaped Ukraine and you've gone elsewhere and you want to speak to somebody, we're here. We've got one multiple time zones. Don't be alone. Talk to us. Let us buddy mm. up with you and we can go on this journey together. Mm. Um, and I think, again, it's, it's, it's just people knowing that there's and some people may not use the service, but knowing that there is someone there, as long as they know that. When exactly. it gets tough, they can pick up the phone and say, hey, I need to chat. 
we're, we're there and it's there. And, that, and that reminder comes through regularly so it's always this you know like line manager say well i've always i've told my team the doors my doors open yeah, tell yeah. Them once <laughs> and the once is never enough so yeah. reminding people that we're here um i think is really important i also think it's really interesting when teams explore like challenge head-on issues around stereotypes or yeah. and societal expectations so actually to have conversations in the in your squads and say you know what does it feel like to be male to be female to be non-binary what does it feel like in terms of what i'm how i'm expected to behave or how i'm supposed to communicate or whether it's okay talking about this stuff or not talking about this stuff and actually to to tackle some of these issues head on and as you really start to unpick some of you know so it's not you're not talking about mental health per se but you're talking about what what is society like in terms of how i'm expected to behave right now and and how can we overcome some of that and how does does that feel okay for me or does that feel a bit outdated and what could we do differently mm. and mm. starting to have those conversations actually around this whole the issue around stereotyping people and those expectations I think that's really powerful, especially when you've got multicultural yes. um, company where people have assumptions mm. about where you, about how you work in the way you work because of where you live. But I think when you work for a very big global company, um, in fact, here's an example. We were writing a um, a policy for out of hours work because occasionally in IT there is a requirement to do a statute. But at the same time, what we wanted to do is make sure that people it wasn't abused that 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 wasn't something that everyone's going to work saturday for the next six months we were hanging them in it people have got family so what we did is we were writing it based on like the european time directive and other principles and then we thought let's apply that to everybody because we have people in our team that are in denmark that are in uh, india um and or in the united states so let's all use so rather than say, but in the United States, you can work 23 hours a day and that's tough luck. Off you go. You can you can do that work because you're in the USA. No, hang on a minute. I'm still part of this squad. Yeah. So it's saying, let's have one definitive standard. And even though your working laws may be different in, say, India or um, mm -hmm. in the Philippines, let's protect you with the core. We're in that we're a European company. They're a Danish company. So let's use Danish law and Danish European standards to drive that. So it gives other people that same protection. And don't just make an assumption that okay, you guys work ridiculous hours anyway, you can go and do it. Yeah. So, and, and the guys out there are really happy with that. They go, wow, this is brilliant. This is really great. And it was one of my colleague's ideas. He said, hang on a minute, let, let, let's take away what the location, forget the boundaries, forget county lines or whatever. Yeah. Everyone will have the same policy but i think that's such a good idea it's so simple but it's it says everything about your values and you're valuing people and and you're break yeah you're breaking down those um expectations yeah. of having to work unruly hours because I, there's nothing worse for team relationships than someone only having to work this number of hours and someone having to work double the number of hours just because of where they're located yeah 100 it's so simple yeah, so we sent out a well-being survey uh, for the 80, 90 people that are part of the organisation that I work under. And um, and sadly, only about 50 people responded. Uh, we did several reminders. So there's always that, I don't want to respond in case it, my boss is aware of it. Is that the reason why? Or is it because people, some people just don't like doing surveys. People just delete it when it hits their inbox. Some people 
um, say, oh, this, this, this is a waste of time, nothing will be done about it. But the people did respond. And the questions were about, you know, how, how are you feeling in your work? Um, are you waking up worried about your, your workload? Are you having anxiety? Are you taking your breaks? Mm. Um, are you doing more than your contracted hours? And the good news was the majority, the feedback was really good. People feel they're supported. Some people feel, actually, I, do, I am more anxious than I should be. I am waking up at night. So what we did, so why are these servers are great? I'm being listened to. I'm being listened to. And then three weeks later, you hear nothing more. Six months later, another survey. And you think, well, what's the point? Yes. So we've then taken those results and we're building a webinar around that, which we're delivering to those people at our next town hall in July. So we're going to say, you did your survey. We've heard what you said. And this is what we're going to do about it. Mm. And we're going to, so we're going to get, um, we've done some webinars to help you. We're going to get maybe some of the leadership team on some mental health awareness training. And actually go back with, we didn't just want your voice. This is, this is not a tick box exercise. We actually genuinely want to know where the issues are and how we can help you resolve them. I think that's a lot of power in that. And people then build trust in you. That for me is, I just love hearing that whole that whole practice because feedback you know a lot of people say that actually we need more and more feedback from our employees and yes we do and actually a lot of people aren't getting enough of that but as you say there's nothing worse than asking for opinions and and then not not showing what you what difference that makes and yeah. asking what makes a difference what's getting in the way of people being able to operate at their best how do people want to be supported and whether this is about everyone and whether this is about you know you're focusing on developing sort of a support for your um, male employees. It's asking the how, the where, the when, what's getting in the way, what do you need, what are the simple things that could help, what, how could we do things better and starting to get that information and then feedback and say, well, this is what everyone's saying. These are the general themes and this is how we're gonna think about these things. That's so empowering. And of course, then you're more likely to get people engaging with surveys in the future because they know it makes a difference. Yeah, exactly. I mean, going back to the, the male mental health awareness week, but we posted on Yammer this week, you know, at, at MERS to say, you know, as a reminder, don't forget we're here, mm. you know, we're using the, the hashtag, you know, mental, a men's mental health week and saying, you know, we are here. Don't sit in silence. Mm. You know, you use the opportunity to have a confidential service. And, and sometimes, as I mentioned before, it's about that friendship, but also what's really important when you do that is, is to assess at the early stages, is this person in any danger? And sometimes I ask out, right, you know, are you, have you had any suicidal thoughts? Mm. If they say yes, and straight on to BUPA counselling or the EAP counselling, there's several paths that they can take. And I think it's really important to assess that really quickly because what you don't want to do is be talking to them for six weeks and then find out what they really needed was, was proper counselling or psychotherapy or some kind of, or, or medi even medication. They go and see your GP. It's a really good question to ask. And it's a question that terrifies so many people. I remember doing um, some sort of CPD uh, training for a group of mental health first aiders a few years ago, and they were really anxious about the whole area of suicide. They were like, what do we, we don't feel we've had enough training. We don't feel, you know, we're really worried about this cropping up and us having to deal with it. Yeah. And I remember saying to them that actually you need to be, it's okay to say to someone, are you having suicidal thoughts yeah. or do you have any plans and that people kind of look at aghast as if, well, surely by suggesting that, you know, by asking the question, you're going to go and make the suggestion like, oh, I hadn't really thought about that. 
and of course you're not you're actually just showing that you are you genuinely care and you are someone who is prepared to hear and engage in the conversation about what this person really needs and then to be able to signpost it on it's so it's such an important question to to feel okay to ask it really is because if they do say yes then that issue is way bigger for you and your your responsibility is to inform let, let the right people know whether it's human resources you know we need to get you urgent help right you might, we need to give you some time off work you need to go and see your gp and then and then because that person will need professional assistance and as you say you know it's about signposting we're not we don't have the skills uh to diagnose and help people it's mm. about looking after someone it's, it's that and the kindness and that, you know, that care mechanism that kicks in mm. um and then your job is to make sure that they're getting the right treatment if required and i think also you know even coming way back before that point do all employees but particularly men do, are they can we help them become more self-aware can we help them well become more self-aware of themselves but also of their colleagues perhaps in their squad about um what their early warning signs are that something doesn't feel right or how to how to talk about emotions you know general and it's generalization but women tend to be much more in tune with their emotions and they have to talk about how they're feeling um and actually rather than just accepting that there's a difference how can we support men to be able to talk more openly and connect with how they're feeling and be able to communicate that in a way that feels okay so that whole you know you've already alluded to the fact that you have done some stuff around mental health awareness but getting that awareness out there across for all employees rather than you know not just managers but make sure everyone is aware of what their early warning signs are and when they notice those what they need to do to be able to get those back in check rather than either not noticing or noticing and ignoring and that goes back to that individual responsibility that we started off talking about today yeah we always talk about that in our webinars you know early prevention if you're starting to feel those things you have to speak out um, because these things, if you harvest those feelings and you just keep them to yourself, mm. it, just, it resonates in something a lot worse. And we always try to say you know, that those early feelings, if you address those now, you can avoid anxiety, you can avoid depression and, uh, you know, by getting those things out in the open. And I do think that one of the positive things about COVID is people became more aware suddenly the world we all became a little bit wobbly and aware of our own mental health and I think that there's been a positive impact of COVID that people are now so much more aware of their how life was almost just pulled away from them you know and they lost relatives and they've re, a lot of people re-evaluated I know we're out of COVID now um into the what we not I won't say the new world but into the existing yeah. world without we've learned to live with COVID but people have got more awareness about their quality of life mm. I think that's a really important thing. And that awareness of quality of life, I think it's a really good way of phrasing that because that's where there's more pressure on companies mm. to employ experience. Yeah. Because people are so much more aware of what they need to be happening in their life, what their existence day-to-day needs to feel like in order for them to feel like it's good quality. Yeah. People have had a real opportunity to engage with what they think is important and actually less important now. So yeah. they're expecting that change to happen. I think what's also really important is a comment you've made, John, about um, your this all the stuff you're talking about, or a lot of the stuff you're talking about today, being which is kind of arising, I think, from your mental health first aider role, mm. is additional to your day job. Yeah. 
So that for me raises a really important question for companies around if they're really valuing and clearly Musk really does because, um, you know, the, the practice there is um, is awesome. And, you know, I'm, I'm pleased you're talking about it today. But it's almost relying on the kind of goodwill of people to be able to go above and beyond. And I know you're someone who is really committed to mental health and, and well-being um, in terms of your mental health first aid role. But also you are someone who's got lots of ideas. When we were having a quick chat yesterday, you were saying, oh, I've got this idea for doing this and I really want to develop that. And you've got so many ideas about what can make a real difference mm. to employees at Maersk yet you don't have the time to do that. So is that something that that's someone else's job or how, how can companies better utilize the, the drive, the insights that people like you have? So I think if there was, I imagine one day this will happen, there will be a, a department that it may be a LinkedIn of human resources that is purely around mental health support. I don't think we're there yet. Um, but the problem with that is you would need so many people there and you'd need people in different time zones. So Immersk are very good with, and again, I think a lot of big corporations are like this. They see the big picture and they think, well, we got, we all have work goals and deliverables and everyone has the flexibility to say, I want to learn this or as part of my personal development plan, I want to increase. In fact, it was what, like two years ago, it was on my personal development plan to work with the capability of that and that was that was part of my assessment and so because it was in my pdp and it was approved that means i have, I have the time to do it Great. So, and i can put time aside and say to my team i'm going to do some web some mental health webinars today i need to do practice on this so i'm going to be out for the morning and everyone on the team is is absolutely fine with that just like if someone said put my pdp so i've got to learn something new so i'm going to be doing training today Mm. everyone's fine with that I think as long because we we're so when we work in self-organizing teams as long as a team we're getting things done it doesn't matter I think that's the mindset of, of big companies is look we got we can't micromanage 80,000 people and everyone's people have aspirations and Maersk are very good at encouraging that and um, people take time off work to do these things or do do it as part of their work day and most are very accepting of that. And when I used to work for British Airways, they were very good at that as well. You can take time out. And, and so I think if you're in a smaller organisation where, you know, resources are tight, everyone's working tooth and nail, then maybe you might not get that opportunity. I think that's the beauty of working in a, in a, in a large company with uh, where you do have that flexibility to say to your boss, I want to spend one day a month on driving these ideas and innovation. And mm. I'm so put, my boss would say, absolutely, as long as you're getting your work done, do it in fact why are you even asking me just yeah which is brilliant and, and I like that approach because it almost means that anyone can come up with ideas and you know if, if you've got a passion and you've got um you know you want to make a difference and you can see really useful ways of making that difference mm. and you can kind of present that case to your line manager and get it built into your pdp yeah and it means that you don't have to necessarily be a mental health first aider you can be someone who has got that insight and i think that's really important as we move mm. from sort of being responsive in terms of someone struggling therefore we need to help them to a more sort of preventative proactive approach mm. and i also think lisa when you're really fired up about something you're, you're passionate about it right you'll do you'll get it done 
right? And it's like, you know, if you're, you know, it's like if you, I don't know, but I, I, I look at my email box, and there's a few actions that have been there for months. Oh, it's so boring. <laughs> this form I've got to fill out, oh, dull. And, and then it's not until someone says, John, we need this now. And you're, oh, I better go and do it. Yeah. And if you're, what you're passionate about, then you focus on those big things. You, you, you get it, you'll get it done. Yeah. Because it, because you, you're, it's something inside you that wants to do it, wants to do it, and you will achieve it and get your job done. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and that's that's the whole point, isn't it? About when when companies create the right experience for employees to be able to mm. go and do what they get excited about, have the flexibility, the freedom to be able to work their their work hours around fitting in the stuff that is important, still getting their main role done. Mm. Once you're given that, there's that trust, that independence, people can, they achieve amazing things. You know, you always give more when you're buzzing with that energy of, mm. I can make a difference here. And I think, yeah, I certainly see that in you. You know, you you literally light up when you talk about all this extra stuff to your, I'm sure mm. engineering is also really exciting, but when it you is. talk about, <laughs> when you talk about all this mental health and um, well-being, work that's happening and all your ideas it's like gosh there's such a you know it's almost like a blank canvas of if you had more time you could achieve even more amazing things 100% absolutely 100% and and it's that, that people side and it's nice to have that balance I mean I, I love technology and I can be a real geek at times and you know you work with a team to do really great things that, that really have a massive impact on on the business but it's sometimes to put your focus onto onto people and think how can I make that person's life better Mm. it's just it's such a buzz to do that yeah. and um especially when you you get feedback from people as well and you think you know that that's really what's happened here has been almost an honor to be mm. a mental health phase mm. but to be a mhfa it's almost an honor to have that opportunity to reach out to other people and i think that's something that we shouldn't take for granted and, and, and to keep your skills up and to keep relevance as well and i think also when you know we're talking about sort of relating mental health to employee experience you know the wider work culture there is so much I know you're really interested you you know you've got so many ideas about what you want to do as you move forward um and you know we were mentioning yesterday things like wouldn't it be great if you had time to do things like emotional needs audits mm. an audit but that sense of particularly for people working on the vessels um whose they say life is quite different to how it might be otherwise how do you get your emotional needs for social connections, mm -hmm. status, achievement, you know, engaging with what gives you a sense of meaning and purpose and excitement and so on. How do you get those emotional needs met? Because we know that if those emotional needs are not met well enough, then people will struggle. They will, they will feel, start to feel maybe more anxious or depressed or angry or whatever. It affects your mental health. So there are so many opportunities for people to get involved at a much earlier stage in terms mm. of that mental well-being journey but it needs that it needs the time and, and someone to be able to lead on that yeah I agree and um I'm really looking forward to how we're going to drive that forward to, to offer our services you know away from you know, not just in the offices but actually for people out to sea you know mm -hmm. and uh someone to be able to pick up the phone or jump on a zoom call with someone or Microsoft Teams and say look can we have half an hour today please to talk about things and you know kind of um a lady I work with does, I can't think of the name of the organisation, where you basically, you, she has someone that she speaks to every week. And it's someone who is it's, uh, someone that's quite lonely in life. And, and I can't think of the name of the organisation, but you're, it's like a talking service. She'll ring this person every week and they have one hour and they just talk for an hour. 
mm. and it makes such a difference to people's lives mm. and I think that, I think sometimes it, as it, we keep going back to this thing where sometimes it's just a matter of being there as a having having a connection having a friend and being kind to someone that is just sometimes worth more than being you know a mental health first aider sometimes massively and you actually said again when we we were chatting before about you've got um a woman coming to talk yeah one of your um meetings about what life is like on a vessel to kind of which will also help break down some of the the myths or the misunderstandings or the I just don't actually have a clue what that person's experiences are really like day to day tell us a bit, bit more about that so, so yeah you know, I reached out to uh, a lady that's uh, I think she's a senior officer on one of the vessels and um, she's been um, on office base for the last month so I've took an opportunity to reach out and say look would you mind how do you feel about coming to one of our town hall meetings and telling us what it's like on the vessel because when you work for a big company, sometimes you forget that what really happens at the coalface. So, and I think it's important for us to appreciate what our seafarers are doing because it's a very risky job. And then uh, this lady hopefully will say, this is what it's like working on the vessel. And uh, we have um, routines we have to follow, safety checks. Um, there are dangerous elements in our job. You know, there are parts, you're going through some countries which have got high-end pirates and you're going to keep look you need to be very wary about where you're going you've got um rules about what countries you can go into and not or whose territory and then more importantly is what happens when your shift comes to an end mm. you don't go home and see your husband or wife you don't go and you know what, what are you going to do you know for that from 6 p.m until eight o'clock the next morning what do you do where do you i mean they, i know they have great facilities on board like catering and uh and, and, but, but do you go to the, they got a gymnasium where you can do so uh, have you got i'm sure they've got tvs and dvds and do you take your books what, what, how do you and also how do you prepare mentally for the fact you're not going to see your loved ones for six weeks yeah. and, and how do they deal with that what happens you're at sea and sometimes oh, our son is really going through the, the mill at the moment and you think well i can't get off the vessel for another two weeks mm. i'm stuck in the middle of the indian ocean and there's an issue at home. Well, how do I juggle those things when I'm sitting in my cabin thinking I feel helpless? What, what can I do? And that I, I think that kind of practice is so powerful. And I, I wish more companies did that in terms of people standing up and sharing with others what their data experience is like, because quite a lot of work I've been doing recently is where um, different teams don't really have the respect of other teams around them who just think, well, they've just got the easy job. <laughs> they, yeah. just, they just do that. We've got, we're doing the really hard shift over here. And actually when people understand what their day-to-day -day experience is like a little bit more, it makes it so much easier to get on, have respect for each other, support each other, value each other, and all the stuff that we need for a company to work well, for teams to be, to, to bond. So that ability for someone to stand up and explain what their experience is like and for other people to, to get an insight to that, massively empowering. I wish more people did that. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm hoping this could be something we can do a bit more, you know, yeah. to engage with people that, you know, what's it like? I mean, imagine you're in the process of moving house and you say to us, right, I'm off to sea for eight weeks. And then you need to do things. You have papers that you both need to sign. I mean, how how do you how do you do those things? I mean, yeah. the logistically and the practicalities around life are going to be very very different. I mean, it, it, do you find that most people out sea are a single people where they don't have those responsibilities? Or I mean, um, I don't know if you've seen the film Captain Phillips with Tom Hanks. 
No, I'm adding to my film list and I'm talking to you. Ah, so it's a true story. Um, it's about one of the Merc Captain Phillips was a Merc uh, captain, and uh, Tom Hank plays the part. And uh, it's about where they were captured. The boat, boat was captured by um, Somali pirates. And um, when the film came out in the cinema, we're going back probably 20 years ago now, I guess. Uh, Merc gave every, everyone tickets to the cinema to go and see Captain Phillips because it's all about Merc. It's all about the Merc vessel that was captured. And and Captain Phillips returned to work back on the Merc vessel after the ordeal and after some of the, the, there were a lot of things to deal with, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally. But he then returned to work and carried on as a, a seafarer until he retired. And um, wow. Yeah, amazing I'm, I'm definitely going to watch that <laughs> it is you know it's, a, it's an incredible film yeah. and it gives you an insight on what it's like on a vessel at a, a very very high level yeah. but after you see that you think oh, what it's really like I do know someone actually that went on a vessel uh, an office person and he said one thing he remembered is when he's in, in his bunker his little cabin there was this constant banging jing, 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 of the diesel engines just chugging away he said and you just switch off after a while that constant, and when he got off the boat, you could still hear it about, oh about a few hours and thinking, this is really weird. So <laughs> there's so many things that you yeah. know affect you when you're when you're working in that environment. So as we come towards the end of uh, this conversation, I could count talking to you for hours, John. Um, what what um do you have any sort of top tips for men in particular around seeking help um you know the whole theme for uh sort of men's mental health week is around you know getting yourself an mot <laughs> so do you have any advice from either your professional perspective or just from being a guy um that would be useful to share for other men not necessarily leaders just guys i think there's, there's two things is remember that i know the old cliche it's okay not to be okay and that is so true but also is to break the mold because the more people that break the mold and say, I am gonna ask for help, you know, I'm, and, and then be really open about it and say, hey, I spoke to a mental health first aid. It was an amazing experience. I mean, uh, in the past I've had counseling and I've spoken to people how liberating it was to have counseling and it was the most best thing ever, mm. you know? And also the other thing is, if you had a broken arm, you would go to your GP and say, I think I've got a broken arm, I'm in agony here, can you fix it? And if you've got issues uh, in the mind or you're, you're struggling with anxiety, is first and foremost is don't hide it mm. because it will come back and it will bite you. And um, and I'm talking from personal experience, not just being a theorist. Um, don't try and self-medicate. Don't think you know what I've had a re I'm struggling here. I'm going to go and buy myself a nice bottle of vodka later, and everything will be fine. Because you're going. It's a really great um, uh, word I heard. It's called hangxiety. So mm. possibly the hangover and anxiety where people drink to hide their anxiety. And then next day it's even worse. So, so don't do that. You know, so don't self-medicate and, and be open about it. And sometimes it takes people to be open because when one person opens up, many of us do. And sometimes it takes one person to break the mold and say, well, I'm going to go seek help. And then others will follow. Yeah. And it happened to me in my personal life when I had some counselling and I told a friend about it. He said, really, I'm really struggling at the moment. And he went, he then got counselling. And he told people, and it's like that steamroll effect. Suddenly, people are more aware of it. And um, and also within your company, you know, if you're if you're a guy, and like for example, David Saab, what an amazing advocate of someone that isn't afraid to speak out. Go and be that person. 
you know, set something up in your company if you can. Mm. And one other tip which I found really powerful is when you are going through um, a period of extreme stress or anxiety, I often find that helping someone, when you help up someone to get better, you start to get better as well. It's that, and that connection. And you don't have to take it seriously. Like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to get mental health. Say, I need a buddy that I can walk with for a few months. You know, I go on a journey with someone and not be on my own. I mean, I think in terms of tips, I don't think I've, I have anything else to, to add on that. I think it's just about being, just be open, openness, connect, and be that ambassador and break the mold and say, you know what, it's nothing wrong with a man asking for mental health. And if anyone says otherwise, then they're just a complete dinosaur, right? Ignore them, just ignore them, you know, and just hope and pray that one day they'll change. Wise words, John. And yeah. I think also, <laughs> Um, particularly about the dinosaur bit um, but also um, wellness action plans are really useful uh, yeah. for and I'll put a reference in the show notes for people to they're feeling a bit uncertain about the kind of conversation to have particularly if you're a line manager and you're not sure uh, how to go about having a conversation with a member of your team who's struggling then actually it's got some really good questions on there about you know what helps and what doesn't help and what will you notice if I'm beginning to struggle and what do I want you to do about it and those kinds of things it's very very practical and um, plans again whether you call them wellness action plans or you call them something different it's about yeah. having having the conversation yeah so my my final question on this topic is what um in your opinion what would be some key actions that you'd like to see leaders doing now to improve that um, sort of employee experience for men, particularly around mental well-being, I would like because of leaders, you get um, we have uh, people that lead, people that join, is to make sure that part of their onboarding is to have um, mental health awareness uh, sessions and understand uh, a lot about the the values that we that the company should live by. Mm. That's really important. Is Merck are very good with their values training when you when you join. I think those values need to be, you know, cascaded down. And I also think that, you know, as an onboarding to any company, it should be have some, and it could be a half-day module on mental health awareness and understand that people will suffer if your leadership style is um maybe too aggressive. Or I'm on, I was reading the guy that set up a LinkedIn. Um he said when he decided to embrace compassionate leadership his organization went from being like a million to like 150 billion or something crazy because people were scared of him people he was very aggressive and he and so if people can embrace that compassionate leadership and lead with empathy i think that is a very very powerful thing that is a lovely place to finish because um I spent a lot of my time talking about authentic, compassionate leadership. I was running a, a day in a teepee for leaders recently wow. around compassionate, authentic leadership. And I think when we get that right, which comes back to that level of self-awareness and how I show up, it makes all the difference to everyone around us. Um, so that is a that's a lovely way to wrap up this conversation. Um, before we do, uh, I want to well, I want to ask you a question that actually my last guest presented so will shorter who was uh, on this podcast last week has provided me with a question to ask you it's a blind okay. question you have no idea what's coming now you're looking a bit nervous john <laughs> <laughs> so when you left school did you ever imagine that you would achieve what you have today in your career no 
When I left school, I had no idea about what I wanted to do. Um, I wasn't particularly academic. Um, I probably messed around at school. Um, I was probably the one that was always getting told off, the class clown. Um, but I was also a nice person. And I think, as my mum used to say, I think sometimes your attitude and your personality will get you a very, very long way in life. And I ended up falling into IT. Um, I didn't, there was no master plan. I just fell into it and thought, oh, this is okay. I quite enjoy this. And then, um, and that's kind of where it was really. And I've just, uh, and there was no, there was never been a master plan. Mm -hmm. I love these people that leave school. They know what their college, they know the uni, they know where they want, they know the 10 years is mapped out. I've not got a foggiest what I'm doing next week. Right? And I mean that, I, I, don't, I don't, but I do know that I have my PDP, that this is my work focus. Um, so I know I didn't I didn't know where I would be and there was no master plan. Um, and but I'm also very grateful for, for life's blessings. And I think that to have that attitude of gratitude is really important to say, you know, where you are in life, you know, you've got a family, you've got a home, you've got all these all these amazing things. And having that gratitude, mm. I think sometimes it kind of propels you on. Um, but I do have other side plans like my radio station. I know. And I, again, where that goes, I don't know. Again, it's, there's no, I've not got a goal that says in five years I will sell it to blah blah blah. I, it, I will just keep going and keep going. Um, so yeah, I, I do often live in the here and now, probably a bit too much. And um, I don't know. I'm I'm a bit like you. I don't have long term plans because I like just living in the here and now and seeing what what comes yeah, up, what grabs yeah. your attention, and um, what opportunities arise. I think that's um, as long as you still keep progressing. Um, yeah then and it works then um that that's that's a good way to be in my in my home <laughs> absolutely um, so if people wanted to connect with you follow you hear more about your radio show which we haven't even touched on so we haven't got time to um what's the best way of of doing that so um you can go to run radio.com there's a schedule of all the presenters you, you can uh, um i've also got a um on facebook john holland radio presenter um, I'm on LinkedIn. If you do John Holland Mask, you'll find me there. Um, and the usual stuff. Okay, on... so we'll put all that in the show notes. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Inundated. John, thank you so very much for joining me today. I have, I love talking with you. Um, it's, it's, it's great conversation. It's great to to hear your own passion, um, what you're excited about. It's great to hear what Mask is doing. Uh, some really awesome stuff. If, if you were given more time, I think there could be even more amazing things done. So I'm so glad that you are on the case with, you know, getting it built into your plan so that you can develop yeah. different aspects. Um, so thank you so very, very much. Keep in touch. Let, let me know what you decide to, to do in the future in terms of renaming mental health first aiders or, you know, what your next stage is going to be in terms of developing um, life for, for employees at Maersk. So thank you very, very much, John. Much uh, it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, it's great to talk to you. And uh, any time you, you want me to talk on your podcast, I'd be uh, very happy to do so. Uh, take care. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today on Beyond the Water Cooler. If you love it, I would really appreciate a five-star review as this helps more people to find the podcast. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe so you get notifications every time we publish a new episode. If something in this episode has got you chomping at the bit or if you'd like to discuss the topics covered in this podcast further, please do get in touch and we can continue the conversation. You can find me at lisa at itstimeforchange.co.uk my details are in the show notes. 
If you'd like to be kept in the loop on what I'm getting up to, I publish a monthly roundup. To sign up, head over to itstimeforchange.co.uk forward slash join the club. I'm always looking for new, interesting people to chat with on the Beyond the Water Cooler podcast. So if you have a story to tell or know of anyone who would be an inspiration to talk to, please do get in touch. And lastly, I'd love to know what you would like to hear about on the podcast. So drop me a line for all suggestions. And that way I can make sure that what I'm talking about is most helpful. See you next time.